Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we got a Stanley Cup preview to do. Uh, obviously, we're going to recap the, the other series we didn't get to or that wasn't finished when we were recording last week. But oddly enough, kind of went exactly how we said. And then uh, looks like we might have some news to talk about and some other rumors that we're going to discuss as well. So uh, let's just get right into it. Let's, let's recap the rest of that Tampa New York series. Um, last week when we were recording, it was the night of game four. And we kind of we said it felt like a must win for both teams. And the reason we said that was for Tampa. Obviously, you can't go down 3-1 heading back to New York. You know, you got to win three in a row, two of them at New York. That's not an easy task, especially with Shesterkin in the net. Um, and then for the Rangers, it kind of was exactly what we said. You didn't want to give that Tampa team momentum because it felt like if they took two in a row, they might not stop. And, and they didn't stop. They end up just decisively winning this series in six games. Game six never really felt in doubt. And honestly, once they had a lead in game five, it really never felt in doubt, in doubt either. Um, it's it's kind of easy to say in hindsight this you know this is something we could have saw coming, but um, I think if you're a Rangers fan, you know it's very probably easy to look at this. Obviously, as a successful year going to Game Six of the Conference Final, but I would say probably a disappointment too. You were up two two nothing in Game Three. Was it Game Three? I think, or even Game Four, and uh, you blow the series and lose four straight. Yeah, the the season on a whole is obviously a huge success, but the exact way it ends really sucks. Yeah, and like this Tampa team, you know, there's been a lot of talk about it. You know, if anyone, I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast probably listens to multiple other hockey podcasts, but it's uh, in game three is when they had the two nothing lead. They only scored one goal in game game four, but it's really impressive. You know, this Tampa team, I think still come sometimes gets thought of as this run and gun offense team, which they can do. These guys are one of the most sound defensive teams. I think we've seen in a long time when it comes to just shutting a game down when it needs to be shut down. Yeah. Up and down the lineup too. Yeah. Like they are one of the few teams that's like, I think people maybe overrate it sometimes with teams where it's like, Oh, when they want to, they can just turn it on play defensively. It's like, no, like a lot of teams just get lucky when they're doing that or whatever, or are actually getting shelled. The Lightning literally just grind the game to a halt when they want the game to stop. Yeah, hundred percent. Like the the Rangers or whatever, they just completely rely on their goalie while getting absolutely filled in. Like the or the Lightning are legitimately good for Bassy too. Yeah, exactly. And like obviously, and then having Vasilevsky behind them helps a lot too because I, I think. At this point, it's fair to say he's making more saves than just your average goaltender would or whatever. It's it, it, I always find the discussions with Vasilevsky interesting because, you know, like he's his statistics are insane in elimination games. It's almost a shutout. Yeah, like you're zero, getting a goal on him, basically. Yeah, and like on some of those, a goal is lucky. He's got like a 0.8 goals against average or something like that in the last three years for elimination games. And that's a small enough sample, but it's not three games anymore. Like we're up to like almost 20 games of this. It's like, this is just insanity. Yeah. He's just done absolutely incredibly well when they need him most. It's like a cheat code to win any series basically. Literally. And like, I was listening to one of the radio shows that they were talking about, is he the most clutch goalie of all time? And like, I don't really know how you measure that because I'm sure there was times where Patrick Wall was insanely clutch as well or whatever, like Dominic Hasek or whatever, but it's like, He's got to at least put an argument in there of just like with how insane over a three-year stretch this is now, he's got to at least be up there in the conversation of like goalies you would want in a one-game elimination. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone super obvious. Uh, like you can always default to guys like Henry Von West or whatever. It's, it's a tough question, but he is at very least in the argument. Yeah, and I, I would say he's probably like the only guy in the argument where it's like, like his right. Re- it's not like his regular season statistics are like through the roof, especially his underlying ones, right? And yeah, they've they've cleaned up the past few years, but he's they're not he's bad. a negative goal saved above expected goalie on his career. Yeah, and a lot of that was his first like two years or whatever was like really bad. Yeah. But yeah. um, where most yeah. most goalies wouldn't be in the league when he was putting up his bad statistics or whatever. So it's a little biased, but still. 
but even like the past couple of years, it's not like he's been like top three, top five in goals saved above expected or whatever. But like, I don't know, like to me, I kind of, it kind of goes back to the thing we talked about, I think a few weeks ago, where it's like, is there something to this team probably not giving a hundred percent effort through the regular season because they know they're good enough to just kind of get there. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's a similar thing with Vasilevsky where they're asking this dude to play 60 games a year. He's one of the only goalies who can do that, let alone without getting hurt. He's probably fair to say he's probably not giving a hundred percent effort every night. If you got to play that many games. Yeah. I always think those arguments are really stupid when they're applied to somebody like, uh, Carey Price, whose team's always on the playoff bubble or whatever, but you could actually plausibly make it for Vasilevsky. Yeah, and I still do think it's probably a little overrated, but like, like the statistics still mean something over 60 games or not. If if your goalie's not playing 100% or can't play 100% effort in half his games because you're playing him, that probably means you're playing him too much, right? But that's also part of the downside, or not even downside, that's Part of the reason their team can be so good is because they can spend 900K on a backup and spend the 2 million they might've spent on a better backup on putting that towards Brayden points money or whatever, or bridging Sergachev or, you know, whatever to keep their guys. Yeah. hundred percent. So um, yeah, no, like this, this team is just absolutely unbelievable. I know we'll get to the, the Stanley cup review in a lot in a second here, but um, you know, for New York, It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. I'm going to be genuinely curious because I think you could take this season in one or two ways and apply it to the off season. And way one would be, Hey, we had a surprisingly good year. It looks like we have a legit stud goaltender again in our net. Who's only 25 years old, um, 26, sorry. Um, But we need to surround him with more help. So he doesn't have to be this good next year. Or they could look at it the classic NHL way and go, oh, we were two games away from the Stanley Cup Finals. That means if we just add a couple more veterans or whatever, and our our young guys are naturally going to grow and get better because they were good this playoffs, we're going to be amazing next year. We're going to go to the Cup Finals. And that second one would be just such a disaster, I think. But You know that's exactly what they're doing, too. I just don't have any reason not to think that, you know? Like, given everything this team's kind of done over the past couple years – Like, yeah, like, and you know, like they're penciling in, uh, or um, what's his name, uh, Kako. If he does play, like, there's gonna be fans being like, "Oh yeah, first line," just because of these uh, these playoffs or whatever, right? Yeah, and he got scratched in Game Six. Yeah. Now he like, didn't really deserve that, but no, the regular was, season is very concerning. Yes, I would argue he was probably their first or second best forward in the series, along with Lafreniere, but. Um, at least from a five on five perspective, but yes, uh, it's not like you shouldn't just expect this guy to step up and be late and uh, be a top line winger or anything, but even like in the um, not post game, but post season uh, interviews, uh, um lot was like, Oh yeah, no, I expect him and Lafreniere to both be uh, top six guys next year. It's like, okay, like they might be, but you can't go into the season just assuming that's going to happen or you're going to be asking for a lot of trouble. Like just given what we saw over 164 games, basically from both, well, a little less than that, I guess last year, shortened season, but like what we've seen over two years now from them, I would say there's a better chance than not that at least one of them is not a top six winger next year. Yeah. You just probabilistically, right. I'm sure one of them will take that step given how young they are in their pre-draft, but Anytime you're betting on two guys who weren't something to both be something at the same time, uh, you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah. And, and like, so I don't know. And it's not like they have to, they don't have to take a step into stardom right away, but you know, you just, you need them to take an actual step. Um, they do have a bunch of cap space to kind of, not a bunch, they have 13 and a half million dollars. Um, Gorgiev is either going to need a new deal or they're going to need to find a new backup. They could go either way with that. Gorgiev kind of feels like the classic guy where his value is probably overrated. But I could yeah, also least, see him taking like a two-by-two. Two. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But I could also see him taking like a two-by-two two or something just to stay in New York. I'm not really sure. But on the back end, their only UFA defenseman is Justin Braun. So they're, they're just got to find a number six, you know, 
D-man back there. And, you know, they're going to be returning Fox, Truba, Lindgren, Andre Miller. Like, that's not the worst stop for. Um, Patrick Nemeth is signed for two more years for some reason. So just got to find a five, six, seven kind of guy. And maybe someone like Braden Schneider is that, um, or Niels Lundqvist, you hope steps up. Um, up front, though, is where they really have some decisions to make. Ryan Strom's a UFA. Uh, Andrew Kopp's a UFA. Kako's an RFA. And the rest of the, a lot of their – like Canaran's Van Jed Kreider are all getting a year older into their 30s. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they revamp the forward core, but that's got to be the biggest thing here for me. 100%. You want to know something interesting that I just did today? What? So I was looking at adjusting RAPM metrics, um, using points to see players who are probably really overvalued. Strom is one of them. And that would, Strom's one of the big standouts. And that would concern me because I'm pretty sure they're going to pay him a lot this summer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the, the plan, because they've been talking, they talked about even trading him entering last summer because he was a UFA. But I don't know if this run changes their mind. But like, even with him having a decent season, kind of like, you just, you can't go into the year with Ryan Strom as your 2C, can you? Or and feel good about your team, anyways. Or like the yeah, other option probably is he's not. He's your three C, and you're just penciling in Cheetle to be your two C. Which, like, neither of those inspire a ton of confidence in me. Yeah, like the Rangers being good next year is going to require so many more if statements than any team that's like similarly tiered. Yeah, like the only thing they really have going for them is I don't think the rest of the division is getting much better. Yeah. Like I think the Pens probably get worse just by osmosis of likely losing Latang and maybe Malkin. Yeah, and age is going to kill – any age curve is going to kill those guys in terms of projections. The Caps are the exact same way, and the Caps uh, – the Pens at least you could say, yes, they were getting injured still, but like – when everyone is healthy, they still look really good. The Caps never just looked that great this year. Um, no. The, the Canes are going to be under the cap crunch again. Uh, the Flyers are rebuilding. Columbus isn't going to be good. And then it just kind of depends what the Islanders and Devils do. So, like, that's the only thing they really have going for them. But making the playoffs shouldn't be the goal of this team. It should be, you know, getting ready to make another legit cup run or whatever. And I just... I feel like the bar is going to be set at that, and I don't really see how they hit it unless they make a couple really big splashes in via trade or free agency. Yeah, I they seem primed to be disappointment. We'll see if like the what the market ends up thinking about them. But if we go into next season, they're going to be a perfect team where everybody's like hit the under. I think. Yeah, I think so, and you know it's kind of unfortunate. Like this is why. I mean, the Andrew Cobb, I don't think anyone in New York's probably complaining about the Andrew Cobb trade because he helped them get to a third round. But, like, they don't know if they're first now because of it. Like, yeah, because they won two rounds, so they don't have their first. Yeah, no first. Um, and they, they take it, but still. But, like, they, they so they lose Morgan Barron a first and a second for that. Alex DeBrinkett's on the market this summer, by the sounds of it. Like, that would be a piece that I would want to see them actually go and add for long term. That would be huge. He would fit their timeline relatively well. Yeah, but like so I just you could trade Lafreniere for him and like not blink kind of thing. Exactly. But I just don't know if they have the assets that they want to like before this deadline, they probably had the assets to keep Lafreniere and pick him up. And then suddenly you're looking like really, really good. But I don't know. It's just, I don't know. and obviously anyone can play as a lot. I'm sure most Rangers fans aren't complaining about the Eastern Conference final run. It's just one of those things where it's like, they spent a lot and the run is great, but the old cliche of, oh, you need to get experience losing before you can win. That doesn't always hold true. There's lots of teams that made it to the conference final and just never really made it back. Yeah, there's no actual signal in losing. There's just signal, and it tends to be good teams that make it there. So, like, if you take any subset of good teams, they go on to generally do above average things in the future. Yeah, and there's 30 teams and only one cup. So, obviously, 29 other teams have to lose at some point, right? Like, yeah, 100%. And like, teams who lose in the conference finals or whatever probably just do well because they're good teams. 
Yeah, oh, and not much to do with losing. And 16 teams make the stand like it's not like baseball where it's like four. I mean, now it's up to six per team, but like there used to be four teams each, like eight of 30 teams made the playoffs, and that was it. So it's yep. like you could see a jump where a team wouldn't make the playoffs one year because they were fifth in their own conference or whatever, but then the next year they win a world series. It's like, well, in hockey, half the teams make it anyway. So you don't usually get too many teams that fully miss the playoffs and then go and win because it's like, well, yeah, of course that's not how that works. Yeah. It's just, yeah, hundred percent. Too many making it. So it'll be interesting to see what New York does. I mean, I think it's, no one, anyone listening to this podcast probably isn't surprised at my take on uh, this team. I mean, good for them. Like they went on a run and that definitely means something. And they created fans just during this run, which is good enough. But, uh, you know, if they want to take that next step, you can't just expect to run it back and have everything go as well as it did this year. That you have to make adjustments to make your team better and avoid regression. Yeah. hundred percent. They got to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's take a preview of the Stanley Cup Finals. Before we do that, I want to get your opinion on the playoffs as a whole. It's kind of been like, I don't know if they, it hasn't been disappointing when I've watched it, but looking back, it's been kind of been like a disappointing playoffs to me. I can see that. I've been like pretty indifferent since the Leafs have been out, but I kind of just assume that has more to do with the fact the Leafs were out in round one again than anything else. But I can definitely see that. A lot of the games were good, but it's like you look back at it, it's like Florida-Tampa should have been an insane series over in four. Um, Edmonton-Calgary probably should have been an insane series over in five. Uh, Even Colorado-Edmonton, you know, you kind of hope it was going to be a back-and-forth series with two of the best players on the planet and Nathan McKinnon. Um, And it's (laughs) it's over in four games, right? So it's just like, there's just a lot of like, there was just a lot of quick series where it's like, looking back on, it's like, oh, this could have been like an all-time playoffs if they went six or seven instead. Yeah, it seems like it, that the Florida Tampa, we really got robbed of, I think. Yeah, exactly. And even like the Battle of Alberta and maybe, yeah, especially because it's like, I feel like if Calgary would have just won that, it's like, well, we probably should have saw that coming. It was Edmonton just steamrolling them. It's like, well, that's, not anticlimactic. It was better with the upset or whatever, but it's the same time. It's like, I would have rather that go seven and they, they hit the upset there. But um, I don't know. Like it's been an up and down playoff. The games have been good, but there hasn't even been like a lot of overtime. I haven't really felt like, like, I don't know if there was a single overtime in the, well, I guess game four in the, the abs game, but like, it just, I don't know. It just hasn't felt like maybe the high state tensions that some of the other ones have, but I genuinely think this could be the best Stanley Cup final matchup since like Bruins Canucks in 2011. Yeah, this was, this is perfect. Like coming into the year, who are the best two teams in the league? This would have been pretty much the two answers you got from everybody. And they're in the cup final. So yeah, even coming into the playoffs, I think a lot of people probably would have been like, yeah, I could make an argument for Tampa and Colorado, you know? Yeah. So yeah, 100%. It was a little more ambiguous by playoff time, but they yeah, were for at sure. worst what one and four at the very worst. Yeah, and then Colorado was like the odds on favor coming out of the West. It was them and Calgary is the only the Calgary was the only team that was even gonna be remotely close for us. Yeah, and then you could have had probably Leafs, Panthers, Lightning, and so on. Yeah, and then so at worst you're getting Tampa at four. Exactly. Like maybe if you're super high on the Canes, Tampa's four. But yeah. still, like it was close. Like coming into the playoffs, as you said, yeah, Tampa goes to a third straight Stanley Cup final. No one's being like, What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've done so well in the uh yeah. Exactly. They're the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs. We got to just stop betting against them. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited for this. I'm, I'm like, I'm cautiously worried that, that like it's, get, it's getting so much hype, it might not live up to it. Um, but it, it's just two amazing rosters. It's unfortunate that Kadri sounds like he won't be playing and Point probably, it sounds like Point will play, but I cannot imagine he's been close to 100%. Um, but even without those two, it's still going to be a really, really good close series, I think. Um, the 
it's going to be interesting to see how Tampa tries to stop this Colorado forecheck because they just like the, it's part of it is they have a guy who can move the puck. It feels like at like, well, with Byron playing and then obviously McCarr playing half the game, they have a guy who can move the puck with ease up the ice and skate it up the ice basically on at all times. But when this Colorado team gets moving uh, north to south, like just up the ice, it gets very scary very quickly. Yeah, because they're so deep. Like they're just stacked at absolutely every position. They can move the puck well. They can forecheck well. They have enough good defensive players. Like Colorado is a terrifying team. Yeah, and but you know, if you're Tampa, like this is one of the first teams that Colorado's played where I think they're actually suited to try and slow down, slow down the game effectively and defend against it because Nashville tries to do that because they suck. St. Louis kind of <laughs> yeah. tries to have to do that because they're not very good. You know, St. Louis is better than Nashville, but St. Louis wasn't a, a great team by any means, right? Like they were fine, but they were um, fine for a playoff team. And Edmonton's good because their best players just unload offensively. Edmonton's not a good defensive team. So it shouldn't be shocked that they couldn't play very well defensively, even stopping the rush, especially when Darnell Nurse was just so clearly injured. And that means Cody Cece is your best defenseman. Yeah, 100%. Um, so it'll be interesting because I think Tampa is well-suited to at least, you know, try and slow down the game like we kind of saw with the Rangers. And I, I, I'm going to be curious to see if Tampa wants to get in a run-and-gun game like the Avs are definitely known to do, or if they want to slow it down and play the more defensive matchup that we saw in, you know, parts of that Leafs series, especially game six and seven. Like they just kind of, tried to stop the Leafs from doing what, you know, getting into the middle of the ice or whatever. Um, They really did that against Florida as well. And then in the Rangers, like especially games five and six against the Rangers, they just gave them absolutely nothing to to shoot at. And, you know, I have to imagine that's probably got to be the game plan if you're Tampa, because as good as Tampa is and how much skill they have, I just don't think they want to get in a run and gun with all of Colorado star power here. No especially without point. They definitely don't want that battle. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, well, and I mean, the Tampa probably has point, but not point on 100%. Yeah, uh, I just think I just saw a quote saying he might play for game one. But the fact that that's a might, pretty good signal that he's not, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and, you know, I actually saw, I want to get your opinion on something. I got, there was a fun tweet I saw from a friend of the podcast, Robin on the Avs. And um, they had tweeted out, it's like, if you had to rank the top 10 forwards in this series, assuming everyone's healthy, how do you do that? And like the exact ranking doesn't really matter, but he's like, it's probably five from each team, right? And this was his list. He had McKinnon, Kucherov, Point, Rantanen, Stamkos, Kadri, Landeskog, Palat, Sorelli, Nachushkin. So McKinnon, uh, Rantanen, Kadri, Landeskog, and Nachushkin from the Avs, Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, um, Pilat and Sorelli from the Lightning. And I thought that was a pretty good list. I think the only one you could maybe argue is like if you're really high on Lekkonen or someone like that, maybe you could argue Pilat out, but Lekkonen or Burakoski. Yeah. Pilat seemed plausible. I'm not sure if I would argue it, but I definitely wouldn't think you're crazy if you did. Exactly. And, but like, that just shows how balanced these two teams are. You know, you kind of, again, like point might be playing, but not a hundred percent. Kadri doesn't sound like he's going to be playing. So you remove one from each team. I think if you remove those two, like 11, 12 on that list is probably, I said Lekkonen and Burakovsky, but then I think 13, 14, 15 is probably like Hagel, Nick Paul and Ross Cole. Yep. So it's just, it really is just balanced right down the middle. Um, you know, and then if you do that exercise for defensemen, I think that's kind of um, where the Avs take over, but they're losing Gerard, which is, you know, Gerard wasn't awesome this season compared to past seasons, but he was still, I would take Gerard as my fourth defenseman over anyone the Lightning could put out. Yeah, 100%. And he's, you're going into the cup final against Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you're just going to, you just want the guy with amazing priors in the Piastro this year. Because as good as Colorado is, you still need things to go right to beat Tampa. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, still, like, you go – I mean, the the defensemen in the series probably go Makar 1. Most people – probably Hedman 2 still, but Taves is probably closer to Hedman than a lot of people want to admit. Um, Yeah, I'd still go Hedman 2, but I agree with that. um, So Taves 3, 
do you go buy them for almost? I don't His sample size might not be big enough, or maybe you want to lean like a Sergachev or depends how much, how much weight you put into McDonough taking hard matchups, but not necessarily playing like awesome in them. I might stick with the prior and say Gerard for. Yeah, but I, I'm sorry. I, I'm assuming Gerard is like, I'm not counting him because he's hurt. Yeah, that's fair. So with Gerard out, then, like, then you probably go McDonough. And then Sergachev slash, I go, I mean, they're pretty close. I maybe lean Byram, but Sergachev's right there with Priors. Yeah, you have just more of a sample. If all goes well, Byram's peak is probably a lot higher, to be honest. But yes, but as they are right now, I think it's fair to say Sergachev is probably closer to Byram. And then I would probably take Manson next. And then Cernak is probably, but again, like the fact that we're going through this and it's just split right down the middle is pretty insane and awesome, you know? Yeah, it's so sweet. And then the big edge is in that. Exactly. Vasilevsky versus one of Kemper Warfrank, who's, it sounds like Kemper's going to be good to go, but this reason he didn't play the last couple games of that conference final was because he like had trouble tracking the puck apparently because it was still a problem with like his eye or whatever. It's well, that doesn't seem awesome. Yeah. That sounds concerning. I've heard that's important for goalies knowing where the puck is. Yep. And being able to track the little black disc. Hey, I've heard that is a skill that you want to have. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a little scary, but, uh, I don't know. That'll, that'll be the big thing in that. And I think they, I, I do think the lightning might need Vasilevsky to steal at least a game here, which he didn't really have to do in the Ranger series. No, like, I don't think so. Actually, that's true. Yeah. Like Tampa was just kind of better in the Ranger series, but he definitely had to steal a couple in that Florida series. And he, you know, was a big part in stealing game seven against Toronto too. Right. So, um, you know, I just, I kind of think this is going to be more like the first or second round where it's like, if Tampa wants to win four games, at least one of them is going to be Vasilevsky being like, no, I'm just going to stop 37 of 38 shots tonight. You're not going to be able to do anything about it. Absolutely stealing it. Yeah. So um, I don't know which way to lean here. I think, I think I'm going to go abs in seven. I respect that. I would think that would be the most likely outcome for any model. I have some futures from forever ago on the abs for the cup. Uh, So I'm going to say Tampa in seven. That way I have something to console myself with. if they lose. Just a nice little hedge. Um, Yeah. I really hope this, I think it will. I, I can't see this series being a sweep unless someone like crucial goes down on either side and I can't even see it going five. Like this is going to go six at, at least, I think. Yeah. For this to be a sweep, a goalie needs to, or even five, a goalie needs to absolutely blow up. Yeah. Like Kemper's got to be hurt and friend Sue's just posted like an eight, nine. Yeah, and even the way the abs tend to carry play, they're pretty anti-fragile to goaltending. Yeah, exactly. Like, they got away with it at times in that conference final, I felt like. Like, I didn't think Frank Hughes played great at all. Yeah, they've kind of ran it generally throughout the playoffs here. Yeah, I mean, it's not like uh, Kemper was shy. Like, Kemper tried to give as many games up in that blue series as he possibly could. Yeah, like – if I, if I remember correctly, they have the worst goaltending in the final four by a significant margin. That wouldn't shock me at all, because even like for as bad as Mike Smith was, he played good enough some games where he ended up with a positive goal save above expected. Yeah, I think he like traveled towards average by the end of the playoffs. It was, it was literally a two goal saved above expected, yes. But and also yeah. again, it kind of goes back to my argument of some of those goals saved above expected is when they were up eight, nothing. And I don't really think he should get that much credit for it, but it happened. So we yeah, like Frank, who's has a nine Oh six during six games in those playoffs. Yeah. Like how often does a team of a nine Oh six from the guy starting in the cup final? Yeah, exactly. And, and Kemper's like, worse. Kemper's got an eight ninety seven. Yeah, exactly. And like even more impressive, I think about Frank Hughes. How often do you see a, a sub nine ten save percentage, but your goals against average is still under three? Yeah, like that just shows how little shots that this Avs team gives up because they don't like they just dominate play. So, um, 
Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Abs and seven. I can absolutely see this going either way, though. If you tell me Tampa three beats, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, I think you pointed out maybe last podcast, or maybe it was just last week. I must have been last week. Now that I think about it, because uh, I don't think Tampa was through yet. But um, one of two things are going to happen here: either Patrick Maroon four beats uh, the Stanley Cup, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Corey Perry loses the Stanley loses in three straight Stanley Cup finals with three different teams. Being the first player to do that since Marion Hosa in 07 to 09. That'd be pretty fun. I would I would enjoy seeing Corey Perry in pain. <laughs> in in yeah. emotional pain, that is. Yes, yes. But I don't know. I just want this to be a great series. That's all we can really ask for. Because I, I feel like a lot of times when you get to the cup finals, and maybe this is me personally, but I've watched so much hockey, I'm almost burned out. And it's like, it's never because it's never the two best teams, quote unquote, it never really has quite the hype. It probably should. Yeah. Like with, there's been a couple stinkers in recent years. Yeah. Well, like last year, obviously a five game cup final. And like, even, even that one, it was like, it almost had the potential to be awesome with Tampa Vegas and Vegas just couldn't get through, but it's like the year before it's like Tampa Dallas in the bubble. It's like, I don't really care about that one. Um, Who's yeah. the year Dallas was that? a really hard team to care about. St. Louis won the year before yeah. that. St. Louis, Boston, and it was just like that's it was a mad. cool it was a cool story, but yeah, like I didn't find the final. It was it was game seven too, but I didn't find the finals personally that like insane. No. And also, like I didn't think either Boston or St. Louis were the best team in their conference. Now, St. Louis was unreal from the trade deadline on, but still. Um, yeah, St. Louis was good in that really heavy grind them down way, which is yeah. only fun if you're just like overwhelmingly amazing, like the Kings used to be or something. Yeah, Capitals Knights the night the year before again, cool storyline. Knights were huge frauds that year. Yeah, exactly. Um, the year before that was uh, Penn's Predators. I didn't watch any of that series because Ottawa got eliminated in the conference finals and you're out in double True. overtime or whatever. So I was just dejected. That was a but- good series. It was a good series. That was one of the last ones where it was like, it kind of did feel like uh, Nashville was the same way as St. Louis, where it was like by like the trade deadline on, it was like, Oh no, this team might be eighth in their conference, but they are probably the best. They're team. good. Yeah. yeah. Nashville was legit good that year. So it was Pittsburgh. Exactly. And then the year before that was San Jose Pittsburgh. I didn't find that final particularly entertaining. Chicago Tampa was all right, but like Ben Bishop went down. Tampa was so hurt by that point. It was just like, it didn't feel like they ever yeah. really had a chance. Johnson um, was playing with a straight up broken wrist. Yeah, exactly. Um, LA, New Jersey, I didn't care about other than the fact that LA won their first cup. 2014 was LA, New York. That was the Rangers were giant frauds. It was just Hank trying to hold on for dear life and they got massacred. 2013 was good. Boston, Chicago. That was like, I, I, lo- I was looking that up the other day. Four of the games went to overtime, and one of the two that didn't was the two goal comeback in game six. So that was a good series. But, but yeah, like this genuinely has the potential to be one of the best series in a decade now. Like we just went back to 2012 and we can name two cup finals that were like genuinely really entertaining. Maybe, maybe three if you really want to add Boston, St. Louis in there. It wasn't like back and forth, but it was good hockey at least. But yeah, it, it was. But this is that, like this is like the two best teams. Seen. Yeah, like this is this is literally feels like like the last time this would have happened was probably 2011 with like the Vancouver Canucks clearly being the best team. I don't know if Boston was considered the best team in the East going into that year, but they were a damn good team. And then like 2008 and 2009 were a similar way where it's like Pittsburgh and Detroit were just destined to play each other. It felt like yeah, yeah, but, those were sweet. We're going back 14 years now, right? Like, which is crazy to think about, but. Yeah, so. we were like 12-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> literally, yeah, exactly. Like, well, for the Detroit-Pittsburgh ones, I was literally eight and nine, or nine and ten, I guess I should say, by the time they were playing. But, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, shit, you're right, 08, 10. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's the hype it has. Hopefully it lives up to at least something close to it. I, I think it'll be a great series, though. I'm excited to watch. Game one. Goes tomorrow as we're recording this, probably tonight as you're listening. I'll probably get this out on Wednesday. Um, all right, let's get to some news. It looks like the Boston, or sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights may have found themselves a new head coach just before we started recording. I haven't seen this officially confirmed anywhere. 
Um, but Kevin Weeks is reporting that he's been told the Golden Knights are going to be hiring head coach Bruce Cassidy. Uh, I haven't listened to the video of him talking. He looks like he's reporting from inside a carpet at an arena somewhere. I'm assuming at the uh, finals, but um, of he is. yeah, but so if, if that is to be believed, then I mean, Kevin Weeks is he's missed some stuff, but he's been on a lot of stuff, especially recently too. Sportsnet looks he's like for me recently. He has had a ton of stuff, like, and especially at the trade deadline, I thought he was really good too. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I mean, I, exactly. I think it's pretty close to official. Sportsnet tweeted it out as well that it's rumored or reported that they're going to do it. Um, I like this hiring. I, I think this is smart. Like, I again, we kind of talked about it when he got fired. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how good Cassidy is, and I mean, he's still going to another very, very good team. So it's not like we're going to see him trying to make uh, uh, rags to riches or anything like that. But I think this is a good enough hiring where, you know, Cassie, apparently he's a very laid back coach and I don't think DeBoer was that way. So it does definitely feel like an opposite type of coach, which we usually see NHL teams do, but there's definitely worse options. They could have gone out and hired. That's for sure. Yeah. You could definitely have done worse. It's tough to evaluate coaches, but like, I don't see obvious flaws in what Bruce Cassidy has done, and that's roughly as good as you can possibly ask for. Well, at the very least, like, they fired Claude Julian. Bruce Cassidy took over, and their analytics got better. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Claude Julian. So, yeah, that's exactly. the ultimate compliment. And, like, sure, the roster probably got slightly better from what Julian had, too, but not, like, drastically. Mm-hmm. And even, like, Bergeron was, what, four years younger now and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, at the very least, you have that baseline. I don't think, I think it's very fair to say he's not a bad coach. Um, yep. So one of, one of the complaints, I guess, from Boston players was they didn't really like how he coached young guys. And it's not like Vegas has a, a ton of young guys anyway. So that probably won't be a problem. Yeah. It, I'm trying to think, is there any, cause they traded all of them basically. Yeah, they literally, like their youngest player on their roster right now is 25 years old, and that's yep. Nicholas Wall. So, like, sure. And, you know, like, and it's not even like, because, like, they got rid of, like, they just, they, they traded literally everyone, because even their, who was their one untouchable prospect that went in the Eichel deal? Uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Krebs? Yeah, Krebs. Yeah. Like, he's gone as well. I guess, sorry, I guess on the IR, they have Nolan Patrick and Nicholas Hag at 23. Forgot they have Patrick. Yeah, I know. Uh, sadly, on the IR as well, because of course he is. But Yeah, he's uh, had a tough career there. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But yeah, I, I think it's a good, good enough hire. Um, Vegas is going to have an interesting offseason ahead of them. They're going to lose Riley Smith. They'll probably re-sign Hag and Brett Howden, but like, those aren't needle mover, especially Howden isn't a needle mover. Hag's all right, but and even that, I think he's struggled at times too. Like, I don't think he's like unreal or anything like that, but um, they're probably going to lose Matthias Janmark and they have 200k in cap space to try and replace some of those guys right now. Like, I don't really know what yeah. they do. They don't even have a backup goalie on the roster right now. Actually, that's not true. Brassois on IR. And he makes two point, but like they almost like have to look to trade Bersois probably to get his two point three off the books. Yeah, because they're broke. The more I think about it, and like I thought it was a fine enough move at the time, but what definitely when you see what they did with the money after the Mark Andre Fleury move was one of the worst things. Like one of the worst moves they made, in my opinion. I just so funny that he won the fest and they capped up as they could for nothing. And like, I didn't even <laughs> disagree with the move at the time, is the worst part. But yeah. when you go, they went and turned around and spent his seven million dollars on Evgeny fucking Gadanov and Laurent Brossois. Yeah, and, and then it, like, you just don't need to do that. Laner being hurt slash struggling is just the ultimate organizational karma for how lovable Flurry is and the cap dumped him after essentially making him the captain he won the Vesna. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just... And again, like, I will defend the idea of, like, yes, you know, how could you see Leonard getting hurt? 
and wanting to move that seven million off to go make space for other stuff. But you can't go spend five million on getting data off. Yeah, that's not the anecdote. And to even two point three on the Rob Roslaw, who had one good year. Yeah, like this dude's safe percentage went from a night he had a nine eighteen in 2020-2021. That's what got his two year payday in fourteen games. The year before he played nineteen games in eight ninety five. Yeah, would you say in 14 games, anytime that's your uh, your calling card, that's tough. Yeah, and then like the year prior, 21 games, 925. The year previous to that, 14, 883. The year previous to that, 8, 928. And then the year previous to that, five games, 873. It's almost like this guy is insane and streaky goalie. I guess, luckily for Vegas, maybe that means they can expect a 920 save percentage next year. But like, what are you doing? Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, it just felt like there was way better options to go. And like, I don't even mind like wanting to get a two or three million dollar backup to like finding the nice middle of three million dollar backup, but not seven million dollar backup in case Leonard goes down. But Persuasion shouldn't have been the answer. Go get like Cam Talbot at three point six or something like that. Yeah, like there's got to be something. It's probably cheaper Braden, too. Yeah, like what did Braden Holtby sign? He sounded like a one year. Two million dollars, wasn't it? Two, like, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know. I that that'll be an interesting move, but uh, yeah, it looks like Bruce Cassidy will be the the new head coach there in Vegas. Um, two things more to hit quickly. We'll we'll get to the actual piece of news. One of the most insane uh, signings I've seen in a little while. Jeremy Lawson signs a four year deal for two million dollars AAV. I don't know if I would give him. $2 million over a two-year deal. Yeah, this is the kind of guy you need to be able to move on from as an organization. They, or like if he wants to sign League Man or something like that, like whatever, I'm sure there's some utility in him, but he's just shown nothing. For anyone wondering, this was at the deadline when we were doing our recap. Chase gave the Jeremy Lawson trade the trade of the deadline, not for the team acquiring him, but for, <laughs> for the, the fact that Seattle <laughs> got something to get rid of him because he was that bad. Yeah. And like, and- I don't, he just, he's probably, he's okay defensively. If he's your number six, whatever, but you shouldn't be paying $2 million to your number six. Yeah. He's like aggressively fine defensively. But if, if all you want is fine defensively uh, I promise you can find it as cheap as humanly possible yeah you don't need to be giving a guy four years of term at two million dollars especially because he provides nothing offensively absolutely nothing yeah so it's like well yeah okay like if you if you provide a little bit offensively and was just fine defensively, yeah, maybe you could stretch that to two million dollars. That's like a a classic, like I don't know, I'm trying to think of like people complain about the Justin Hall contract. Justin Hall is much better than Jeremy Laws. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I saw somebody call us there. Justin Hall contract. Justin Hall at his worst has consistently been better than this guy. Yeah, exactly. But it's like like, sure, that, like, that's maybe the type of person you go and try and give $2 million for and then, you know, see how it goes. Not a guy who just keeps his head above water defensively and doesn't bring anything anywhere else. Yeah. yeah so, just tough. yeah, just a weird signing. But, you know, I don't really – again, like, I just kind of don't see Nashville getting better next year. So, it probably won't end up mattering in the long term because I think – Especially, I mean, well, it doesn't even matter if they re-sign Philip Forsberg. They're probably just going to be the 18th best team in the league next year. If they let him walk, at least they have a little bit better chance of being like the 25th best team in the league. Yeah, especially we're going to beat this to death in the offseason, but it's such a good year to be bad. Yeah, exactly. This you should be trying to tank this year if you're like, especially a team just getting older, where it's like your your window is shut. This Nashville team is not becoming a cup contender in the next year or two by just being mediocre. No. Like <laughs> the way 
No, like the way they become a cup contender is they tank this year, get the first overall pick. And if Bedard is as good as he looks like he might be, or even like Mitchkov or whatever, like that's how you give yourself a chance of becoming a cup contender again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They need stars. Yeah, exactly. And you're not going to, you're very likely not going to get that just being the 15th pick in the draft every year. Yeah. Unless you're a genius or like the luckiest person on earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, Neither of which you should bank on. No, exactly. Um, the other piece of news was that John Gibson has reportedly said he would be willing to be moved from the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Gibson has five more years at $6.4 million left and is quite the interesting goaltender. Um, his analytics have been like really poor for a number of years now, at least like goal saved above expected wise. Um, I did see Micah's model liked him a lot more, not even liked it, but just like Micah broke up his career into three segments, average, insanely good and average. And that seems about right to me. Yep. Um, where yeah, goalies like Gibson can kind of get into a weird thing. I know this is true. And I say it on the podcast every four or six months or something. But the fact that we view goaltender statistics as relative to average and player statistics as relative to replacement really warps how we see guys like Gibson who probably sit in like the 45th percentile. Yeah. And like, so I was thinking about this the other night because when, you know, like I, when we do our goalie rankings every year, you know, obviously every offseason we do our top 20 lists or whatever. And I would say for three years now, you've been much higher on John Gibson than I have. Yeah. And I've probably been a little too low on John Gibson, but I think you've probably been a little too high in terms of like the yep. reason you've had him so high is that the upside was there. We just haven't been able to see it for a couple of years. And, and to be fair, like the longer that goes on, the lower you have him down the list. Like I think last year, yep. I don't even know if you had him like top, you definitely didn't have him top five. I don't know if you, no. I think maybe you had him 10th just because we couldn't believe how bad the goaltending list was last year. Yeah, there was um, like nobody else. No, like, we had like Jack the guy Campbell. who used to be good. We literally had Jack Campbell's like the 12th best goaltender. We're like, I don't know if this is true or not, but we saw 30 games of it. So, yeah, but he um, hasn't been bad yet. So why exactly? But the more I think about it, there's probably more value in knowing you're at least going to have an average goaltender at $6.4 million. It's probably a tad expensive, but like, I'm, I'm definitely come around more than I thought I would have even a year ago, probably on. I think a team could realistically trade for him and be in a good position, even if you don't get Pete Gibson back. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy that somebody would talk themselves into it. What I do think is crazy is a cap strap team like the Leafs doing it. So like, you know how in football they always talk about like the rookie quarterback advantage? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think Gibson could make a, some sense to a team who's already screwed their RFAs into really low contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or exactly. Or has like on an ELC for the next couple of years. Or yeah. Whatever, or as a great. Yeah. Either you've screwed them into a, amazing rfa contract for you or you have like an exactly an elc or something like that it'd be tougher to justify as a cap team yeah i you unless anaheim retains but i don't think they'd want to retain for five years definitely not half contract yeah that's the thing i've seen a lot of people be like oh well, maybe they're willing to retain like, the amount of deals that have been retained on with that much term left is a really small list. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I would bet against it. And almost everyone who does it ends up regretting it to some degree or not. Like the Leafs could have used the $1 million or whatever it was for the past couple of years of the Kessel buyout. Or 100%. not buyout, retention, sorry. Yeah, and also Anaheim's consistently talked about as an internal budget team. They're probably not lighting money on fire like that. Yeah, exactly. So like- It might be as- more important for them to ditch the money. It, exactly right like as cool as gibson at 3.2 would be like that i think is a, something every team should probably be swinging on yeah but that's just i don't that's not going to happen no. or very no. unlikely anyways especially or because, if it is the price you're going to pay is going to be so stupid you're going to be it's not going to be worth it yeah well and that, so that's the other thing is i've talked myself into a lot of people teams should be calling on him assuming 
the acquisition price isn't through the roof. Like if you're giving up a first and a prospector, or like a good prospect for this guy, I wouldn't be doing that. No. But if the market just absolutely craters and they go, we can't find anyone who's willing to swing five years on this guy. And they're like, we'll take a second and a B level prospect. I don't hate that trade. Yep. Yeah. That could be reasonable as long as it's very cheap. Yeah. Like, it kind of reminds me like what Ottawa gave. Ottawa gave up the 52nd overall pick and a prospect who almost everyone knew had no chance of being an impact player in the NHL. If he made it, it was going to be a fourth liner for Matt Murray. I still, to the, uh, yesterday on Twitter, I was defending the trade itself. I said, if you want to take a stab at a goalie and you want to see what you got in him for a year, I've seen worse prices to pay. Now, the problem is Gibson comes in locked in at that deal that uh, Matt Murray sends basically Dave to Matt Murray. Obviously, he gives us one extra year. But I would say Gibson's baseline has been much better than Murray's. And also, Gibson's peak is probably higher than what Matt Murray was over an extended period of time anyways. We saw Matt Murray be amazing for one or two rounds at a time, but never for 60 games like we've seen John Gibson do before. Yeah. So, um I think the other reason the team might be able to talk themselves into it is he's played a lot of games in Anaheim. 52, 60, 58, 51, 35, 56 is the last uh, couple of years. If you're a team that could acquire him and maybe have a guy who can take 35, 40 games, like a, I don't know if he's the best example, like a Gorgiev type in New York. And obviously New York wouldn't be acquiring him, but that's the type of backup I mean, you know, like, a guy who's yep. more of a 1B type that can play 35, 40 games, or like Morazic in Toronto. Again, like the, you need some salary retention, I think, for Toronto. Um, maybe you swing at that and say, okay, we think John Gibson could be a better goalie if he only plays 48 games or so instead of getting just mauled into the ground playing 60 games. Because the thing about a lot of those numbers, like he played 51 in 2019-20 and 58 in 18-19, those were on pace to be higher, but they wore him out so far that he got injured by the end of the year. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Like, maybe you could convince yourself if you give him less of a workload, you might see a better result. It's not something I'd be like. like I, I don't think you should be like, yes, this is going to happen. But no, I'm more... I'm definitely more on the board of like a team looking to trade for John Gibson than I would have been even a, a week ago, probably to be honest, before looking into anything. Yeah, that's fair. I do think it's not quite as simple because I'm on the side from like a leash fan. I really don't want them to do it, but it definitely could make sense in the right situation. Like again, it all depends on the acquisition cost. And it'd probably be a lot because it's in division, but like if you're the Edmonton Oilers, what do you have a better option? Maybe you could get like a Jack Campbell or someone in free agency, but like if you're Edmonton, you might not. And <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. If the price is reasonable, like let's say it's, I don't know, a second round pick and a one of their prospects that are okay, but not great. You know, like I, I feel like they have a bunch of defensive prospects that are just like fine. They're not awesome or anything like that. They're just okay. Um, if you're Edmonton and like you give that up, if you can get Mike Smith's money off the books, Koskinen's already signed in the Swiss league. Well, then you could run a duo of like Stuart Skinner and um, John Gibson at a total of $7.5 million or whatever. That's probably not the, that, I would say that's an upgrade at the very least of what they've had over the past two years. Oh, I would think so. <laughs> that's a pretty low bar. And well, exactly. But that's what I mean. Like, it's just like, so a team like that, where it's like the bar is so low to begin with, I, I think it makes more sense to take a swing. Now the downside of that is if it doesn't work out, you're absolutely effed anyways, because you have, $6.4 million tied up in a goalie who sucks, but I think you're probably pretty screwed anyways because you have 9.25 tied up in Darnell Nurse. You're going to have 5.5 in an aging Zach Hyman. Like, there's a couple other uglier contracts that are worse than that one. $7.75 million combined for Barry and CeCe for two more years. Like, 
Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I, I just, I kind of feel like a team like that where it's like, and also, so I guess the other thing for like a team like Edmonton, and it all depends what the options are. But if you don't go, like, if you just stay the course with Mike Smith and like another 1B or whatever, what is your upside there? Making it back, getting a lucky avenue to the conference finals and making it back to get swept in four again? Yeah, that's tough. It's actually funny that you bring up Edmonton because you know how I said the rookie quarterback thing? Mm-hmm. I, was, I was thinking guys of ELCs. You know what's even better than a good guy in an ELC? A $20 million player making 12 and a half. Which is yeah, exactly. And, and a $16 million player making nine eight, or whatever. Or yeah, eight, eight, five, whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whatever Dreisaitl makes. Like, it's exactly. like they, They're the exact guys who can – afford to spend a little more on a goalie. And, and again, like even if they seem to like Stuart Skinner, if you think he can be a backer or like a one B or whatever, he's only making 750 K this year. Like, so I don't know. Cause I'm just looking at other teams. Like I feel like he's a little too old for New Jersey. Um, but yeah, like they're, probably. They're, they're another team that I think has some good contracts that could probably use a goaltender. I don't think Blackwood is the answer there, but like, they're probably, I think he's a little, like 28, I think he's a little past what they're looking for. And then after that, you just don't get a lot of teams. He's too old, I think, for Ottawa's market. L.A., maybe? Like, if L.A.'s trying yeah. to make, take another step What's right now, but he, uh, one year, I want to say, I think he's got this year left. Yeah, so if you get yeah. it done quick, that could make some sense. Yeah, but then even then, you still have Cal Patterson making five for three more years. So do you really want to be spending... Oh, God, I forgot about the Patterson. (laughs) That's a bad deal, eh? Especially for how bad he looked this past year. Like, yeah, I don't think you want to be spending 11.5 on that goaltending deal. Yeah. What? I don't know. Like, I just... And then... I just don't really see any other teams that I, I, I see, like, an obvious fit for. Because a, a lot of the teams that like you think maybe kind of need a goaltender, it kind of feels like, well, they probably won't want to be super good for another two years or so, at which point John Gibson's 30. And it's not like, like you can easily win with a 30-year-old goaltender, but it's one of those things where he's already had a ton of injuries too. Like this isn't a guy who has been clean and healthy his whole life. He's gone down like four years in a row with some kind of injury. So, Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been very consistent. And then you have like teams like Vancouver. He might fit their window or whatever, but Vancouver's already got Demko. Demko. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I'm going to be very curious to see what the market looks like for him at the very least. Like I, I mean, the goalie market is pretty tough to begin with, unless you. What I wonder if they end up doing is kind of sitting on him, kind of like the Coyotes did with Kemper last year. And then if a team like Colorado misses out on whatever fish they're looking for in free agency, and just like last year, they had to go give a first and Connor Timmons, who was a good prospect um, to go get Kemper. I wonder if they do a similar thing with John Gibson, where it's like, Hey, like you still have that loads of cap space. You couldn't use in free agency. Here's a goaltender you could take for $6 million. Yeah. Like just be the last, wait for the last guy at the dance kind of thing. Yeah, and that is either going to work out very well or not well at all because you're either going to have a team really desperate for a dance partner or everyone's going to find a dance partner and you're just sitting there like, all right, I guess we'll just keep John Gibson for an extra year, which wouldn't be the end of the world if that happened, but I think it kind of seems like both sides might want to move. Yeah, they're in a decent spot where if they have to keep them it's not the end of the world for them. Although if he really doesn't want to be there, maybe it would get really ugly. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing is, you know, like how is this a, Hey, I'd be open to moving or is this a, Hey, move me kind of thing. Yeah. Cause if he's like, I would rather do anything than play for this organization again, you probably want to get him out of a room, especially with so many young guys. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, all right. I think that's probably it. Do you have anything else you want to touch on? I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, so I saw it. Uh, you want to plug your stuff you've been writing, I guess? Uh, yeah, I wrote two blog posts in two days. It's been a busy day for me. I wrote a thing on the 2022 draft class uh, yesterday, and then I wrote 
I made up a new statistic called unexpected points, which explains how I think points still have value in a world with RAPM-like statistics, even though RAPM-like statistics are better than points on their own. Um, so for anyone wondering, I think that officially makes us an iTest podcast and a uh, prospect podcast. So come yep. here for all, all your all prospect needs. Yeah, exactly. Everything you want, hockey related, we got you. Uh, you can check all that out. At, uh, you can find that on Twitter at cmhockey66. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. All my work at lastword.hockey.com. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. 